0: James. Hey Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, but I'm, I'm, I am questioning whether that is up to me or if it is simply...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not questioning whether Melbourne's in a lockdown, up to me. i am not I've got bloody COVID. The, the government, I don't think, has made the right decision, but this is a thing for another day. Um, welcome to it, Cloud Street, which is a podcast where James and I talk about a topic. And today's topic is free will versus determinism. Um, so I thought just to begin with, Like so many of the podcast topics that we talk about are things that I didn't even know were words 10 years ago. Like free will versus determinism. I didn't even know those words. Uh, And Mm. I think if I'd heard Mm. people talking about them, I'd be like, this sounds like the worst conversation ever. (laughs) But but now I'm like, hey dude, let's have a conversation about free will. And you're like, yeah, 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 it's a great idea. (laughs) Um, So it's funny how we've changed, I suppose.
0: Oh, like, this is why I keep going back to whenever I hear people talking about like oh wouldn't you wouldn't it be great just to be like 18 again oh my god and then I I just like ask like have you been around 18 year olds recently <laughs> <laughs> and what they're talking about and what like I try if I try at all to think about what our topics of conversations were 18 years ago there you go we've been adults longer than we've been children now
1: yeah it just
0: makes me cringe but I appreciate um, having been 18, but I'm much more excited about the prospect of talking about something as rich and philosophical as the notion of free will and whether it exists as opposed to what we were doing back in the day.
1: Maybe this is it. This is a slight uh, a sort of tangent before we begin. I thought our parents were boring. And maybe all children think that. Do you know what I mean? When I was 18, yeah. I was like, oh God, when if when I'm like them or something, I don't. Or maybe I was like, I, I love my parents, don't get me wrong. But I suppose I didn't necessarily... I wanted to do what I was doing when I was 18, not what they were doing. But you've got yeah. kids now, James. Like, do you think what you do is boring? Well, I don't think I come across as
0: boring to them, that's for sure. As soon as I come home, it's like moth to a flame. Like, they yeah. will just, like, they will insert them their, themselves upon me and try and, like, climb up my back.
1: Yeah.
0: But, like, oh. I think somebody said it best. I can't remember who it was, but they, th- they posted a, um, a caption that said, when I was younger, adults seemed way more adultier than they do today, <laughs> and I just think there's so much truth to that. I can I don't know what it is. I it just feels like there's this there was this chasm that I could never cross when I was let's say under fifteen mm. to those who were like, for a better word, growing up. Mm. Whereas now, I don't know whether it is like the like the onset of. Well, i think it i think this is what the the our parents were the first generation to grow up without a war or a major war um but their parents were so they inherited their parents' style of um you know being brought up but our parents were a lot more easygoing so i think that kind of like led to us being even more so i don't know if i'm just spitting nonsense yeah. but it just seems right. like it's just this it's this more of this blend between two, like childhood and adulthood now as it was 2 or 3 generations ago
1: Let's not go off on a mega tangent here. We're talking about determinism no. versus free will. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking so, of, yeah, we, have, we can't even have the topic, so We definitely have free will because we're not even able to talk about the topic we decided to talk about. So
0: Yeah, I mean, what well, this is, we're trying to get intro. to the bottom of whether we are at all in control of this diatribe that we just lead ourselves off on or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, I might try and do my best to introduce this, um, uh, this concept, but it really, so for me, the notion of free will and why I find it so fascinating at the moment is largely because um, it's been championed by uh, this this hip fellow called Sam Harris, who, um, for those who I don't believe it would be possible to have not have heard of him yet, but for those who don't know, he's basically a prominent um, thinker, writer, um, but also neuroscientist in the United States. Um, and he's very uh, outspoken on the idea of free will. He actually wrote a book on it. And so watching so a podcast,
1: that's how most people would know.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah, so he's got a Make really good podcast his, and a meditation. App. Has, yeah. <laughs> so um, so Sam Harris says the idea of free will cannot be mapped to any conceivable reality and is incoherent. So according to him, he says science reveals you to be a biochemical puppet. Right? So people, thoughts, intentions, Harris says, um, emerge from background causes of which we are unaware and over which we exert no conscious control. So, th- like, so I, I just want to like, um, like prepend all of this with like, I consider Sam Harris to be an, an immensely intelligent individual. Uh, and being a neuroscientist himself, I would feel like he's got a lot of this covered that you and I probably haven't even conceived yet. So it's, it's no small feat to go up against his contention on this topic. But I'm just interested, Duncan, like... What are your thoughts on, like, first of all, what does free will mean to you? And what do you, what are your thoughts on Sam's position?
1: Yeah, so I just want to give you my definitions. So one end is free will, which means you have agency, you make decisions. The other end is determinism, which is where all Mm. of your actions are predetermined. And people talk about Mm. the illusion of free will so that we actually are determined, but we have the illusion that we have free will. Um, And so... Sam Harris's argument, uh, as I understand it, I'm just going to simplify it to, to sort of one thing. So one argument he brings up is that you don't get to choose your next thought. So if you're just sitting yep. there, something will pop into your head and you didn't choose that. And as such, you don't have free will because you don't choose that. Um, and I would say that's a, a correct direction, but I would say that, that that's part of the picture, not the whole picture. So mm. to me, mm. you have your subconscious mind, which you don't really control, but then you have your conscious mind and Sam's a big proponent of meditation and meditation in some respects is trying to use your mind to concentrate on something, say your breath. And when you're doing that, you'll be on your breath and then something from your subconscious will come up, which you didn't choose, right? And then often yeah. you go off on a tangent from concentrating your breath, but then you can bring yourself back to your breath. So what I would portend is that you do have a subconscious and that you don't get to, this is choose the thoughts of it, but you do also have a conscious mind and you do get to choose the thoughts of that. And so I feel that Harris is overextrapolating one part. Um, yeah. I'd say that the scientific method means you need to falsify things. So you shouldn't be 100% sure of things, but you shouldn't be 100% unsure of things. He is, from my perspective, an ideologue on this. And he's said, I remember he was mm. on Max Friedman's podcast recently. And Lex said to him, what would you need to see to change your view on uh, free will? Um, effectively, what would need to falsify your thing, you know, the, the Karl Popper's falsification. And Harris said, there's nothing. It's like saying that a rectangle is a triangle. And so to me, I was like, "Well, man, mm. like, like this is, uh, it's like he's trying to justify it. And so to me- That's not thinking uh, like a scientist. No, not at all. I was thinking like an ideologue or a zealot if you're taking, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Tim Irvin's thing. So to me, I think that he's taking certain bits and extrapolating them to fit the entire equation. When yep, yep. it's reasonable for part of it, but not all of it.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. So um, I think, first of all, you, um, correct me if, if you've heard it, but I don't think I've actually heard Sam give his own definition of free will. I've just only heard heard his arguments against it. Right, no. and I think that. What's it going? Well, I, I think firstly that 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 kind of like as you say gives him this. Um, Freedom <laughs> to hang his argument on the entire um, landscape of what you could construe as free will. So this this notion that he has, that I think that he holds on to, um, well, at least what he um, posits more than anything else, which is you do not create your own thoughts, or the thought, or whatever happens before your thought happens, and everything, and then he just like goes he goes all the way back to, um, you know, the, he said, you can go all the way back to the big bang. Hmm. And I feel like that kind of like what you said, he uses that as an anchor for the entire, um, notion of your, your awareness, your thinking and your ability to make decisions. And I don't necessarily for myself agree that the two need to be a one-to-one overlap. Hmm. I like, I agree just like you said, there are, things that go on in your subconscious mind that you have no awareness, let alone control over. But I don't think that means that things, when they, come, when they emerge in your conscious mind, that you can't, by bringing awareness to that, exercise your own autonomy over those um, particular options. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, so, so one thing, if you've if you got like a, a, a square meter cubed, right, or oh, so it's a cubed meter, right, and you drop ping pong balls in it from the top, and then they all bounce around off each other, you can actually predict where they're gonna go if you get far enough ahead, right? So those ping pong balls have no free will. They are just a reaction to what they're bouncing into. Um, And that's another analogy I've heard him sort of say. So everything is basically an outcome of prior actions and you don't choose them. Um, I would say that our minds are, or they say the most complicated thing in the known universe and that they're not analogous to a computer chip, which is literally ping pong balls being dropped, right? You know, and then they just, you know, it's, there's a series of logic that flows. Yeah, um, yeah. That there is some stuff we don't understand and that there is some agency in there. But I also think, and this is where I am sort of going to kick this off, that we, we don't have, I suppose, 18-year-old Duncan thought that I had agency over 100% of things. Yeah. And now I think that you need to be aware of all these biases and programs that are built into you. These mm-hmm. are subconscious biases. And if you become aware of them, you can then counter for them. So, as an example we have all this stuff built into our biology walk near a cliff get vertigo see an attractive human get horny etc that you didn't choose they're baked into your source code and so yeah. the best you could do is to become aware of them and once you're aware of them you can then counter for them so you could call it a bias if you want getting vertigo so i live in a 20 story apartment and when i first got it i, I got vertigo every time i went near the window right Literally, and I, I remember thinking that I thought I was gonna die. i just like, I'd go out on the balcony and I'd just tumble off. I thought that, you know, and now I don't get vertigo ever. I've kind of gotten used to it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so to me, I think there are things in your biology, then there's things, sociocultural programming, there's like cognitive bias and a whole lot of other stuff. And then if you're unaware of them, then they are acting on you and they affect your decision-making, i.e. lower your percentage of agency. Um, but that you can counter for them. So my articulation I suppose would be, I thought I had 100% of agency and 100% of decisions when I was 18. And now I think some decisions had 0% agency, but you can increase the agency. So I'd say that I probably have between 10 and 90% agency in most decisions today. Whereas when I was 18, I had between zero and 50% agency, you know, (laughs) because I've slowly learned about the sociocultural programming, the biological programs and other things. And on a bad day, I'm run by my emotions, you know, something happens to annoy me and then I get all inflamed and I can't, you know, get in front of it and respond, not react, etc.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like what I think is important, well, helpful for us to distinguish here is that um, going all the way back to the be- beginning of what you were saying, there's actually, well, there's two notions of free will. One is the theoretical base. So this is where philosophers and people like Sam Harris, I feel like, um, you know, like to Anchor their their reasoning on and then there's the more empirical or biological base which is what i think you are going forward with in all of those examples there such as you know we um we have all of these um uh these anchors in our mind we have all of these um you know programming that we're not aware of etc 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 so and i think for uh you know for us going forward, it's way more interesting to talk about these more bio- biological and environmental markers because I just think the theoretical side, you're never like, it's almost kind of like what you said, it's unfalsifiable. You know, if you if you can't really give empirical reasoning to someone like Sam Harris who says, I could never be con- um, convinced, then you're not going to get anywhere. So <laughs> like for me going forward, to do this as a service my like for me what i think free will is is that you simply need to have awareness of what choices you have right now sam might tell you that you're not aware of all your choices therefore you can't be free and i think that's that's quite ridiculous it's similar to you can't control all criminal activity therefore you shouldn't police criminal activities i don't know if that's a fair analogy but that's how i feel yeah um um, but then there are things that you are not aware of. And so the question is just what did it require for you to bring awareness to in order to feel like that you are free? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that you go through in your blog, and we can put this in the show notes, you know, shameless plug there, is this idea of um, biology versus nurture or sorry, yeah, nature. So, nurture, nature, and then self-authoring. And when someone is 18, their life has basically been lived for them up until this point. And I think Mainly you said some, yeah, that when on. you were 18, you thought that you were in complete control. And then when you got to 36, you look back and you're like, holy cow, mm. how wrong was I? Mm. Like, uh, if that's a fair um, per- paraphrasing of that, um, that thinking that you were giving.
1: Mm. Um, just to give you an example. Um, so,. You know, we, you can go to school and learn mathematics. You're not born knowing mathematics, right? But mm-hmm. whatever, a mouse doesn't get to go to mouse school and learn mathematics or something. <laughs> but if it can't pass down any learnings to its you know, next generation, then it's going to have a lot of trouble. So there's these wonderful tests What they did is they got mice and they put them in a um, like cage or whatever. And then they did classical conditioning. So when they, I think it was uh, some smell, like raspberries, when they smelled raspberries, they electrocuted it. And they did this to the point where when it smelt raspberries, it freaked out because it knew something bad was going to happen. And so this was meant to be if you eat a berry that's bad and it poisons you, but you don't die, you remember, right? And then they would get two generations later, so the mice's grandchildren, and they'd have done this. And then they would give them the smell of raspberries and they'd freak out. Mm, So it mm. had learned that raspberries equal bad. And if you weren't able to pass down these stories without having to go to school, then you just go and keep eating the same raspberries and you keep dying and then no more mice. So this is an example that our biology can have programs put into it that you don't choose, right? You didn't go to school and be like, Raspberry's bad, don't eat them, you know? It, it had been passed yeah. down, there's no mice school. Um, and so another sort of example is that spiders are born and they don't go to spider web school and the first spiderwebs they make, are awful and don't do anything. They init- immediately make spiderwebs as good as they'll, they'll sort of ever make. So it's in their programming how to do this. And so I was yeah. like, oh my God. So this happens for humans too, but it's subconscious. I didn't know I had any programs in there. I thought I had 0% programming that was, uh, you know, in my biology, only stuff that I was conscious of.
0: Yeah. So like for me, the, like two things here, I, I go straight back to um, Ordinary Men, uh, the, the, the amazing book that goes through, it was like in the second world war for a lot of people in um the holocaust and they talked about uh the Nazi guards and a lot of whom were just normal people we write them off as inherently evil but what um people like jordan peterson talk about is that no these were people who were just like you and i that had a lot of dormant programmings in our brains that we are completely unaware of until they come online and when they come online they bring out this side of ourselves as human beings that uh, is terrifying. And it's only when you're put in these situations, do you become aware of them for the first time? Um, And I I really like the, the, the the mice example because it talks more to the biological programming, but it also made me think of, I don't know if you've heard of when um, they had uh, a room full of, I think they were chimpanzees um, and they had a, a ladder with a banana up at the top of the ladder. And any time a chimpanzee would climb the ladder to get the banana, they would hose down all the other chimps in the room. Hmm. And so, over time, as soon as someone tried to go up, go for the banana, they would just rip that chimpanzee down. Like, no, don't get it, don't get it. <laughs> but what happened is, um, so that would ha- that would go on for a time. But then they would start moving chimps in and out, and so they would take chimps out of the room. And eventually, you would have a room full of chimps that never been hosed down before. But when, again, a chimp tries to climb the ladder, they all pull him down. They're like, no, go, go, don't go up the ladder. And so they don't have any actual, like, um, unless, of course, they can communicate to each other and pass mm. this knowledge on that, you know, if you go up there, you'll get hosed down. But mm. I think the assumption is that they're actually just reacting to mm. a trigger. And this trigger is if you climb that ladder, um, you know, well, no, it's not even if you climb this ladder, something bad will happen. The trigger is, I think, it's just don't climb the ladder. Yeah. Uh, and so, where, uh, and I feel like um, it, it you made me think the irony of Sam Harris um, acting like a zealot, um, which is that he, I think, is submitting himself to a way where he's not free because he doesn't realize that he's programmed himself. Because <laughs> he's, he's
1: decided to be determined. <laughs> yeah he's taken the free will choice to not have free will he's chosen he's chosen chosen to be determined he's he's chosen to give up free will (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah so
0: i i think there's there's something to this idea that even though we can be programmed um i don't think that negates the ability of free will but i Mm. do think bringing awareness to these programs Mm. is the key to leveling ourselves up even further
1: yeah so i think We can be programmed i think that's pretty clear we can have others program us or we can program ourselves and i didn't sort of understand this. so a good example of programming would be religion so you know you believe in whatever heaven hell etc and then we started to program ourselves more so with the advent of the public education system which happened in the first industrial countries in the 1800s people started to have more knowledge and then they started to go hold on maybe some of this stuff in this bible doesn't make sense and then they started to stop being religious. And then Nietzsche said, God is dead and we have killed him. We have killed him, i.e. we've leveled up our knowledge to the point where we think that enough of this book doesn't make sense, that maybe the whole thing yeah. is false. Um, yeah. And so programming of one sort from outside was religion as an example. Go to church, have the sermons, you know, and everyone around you says just the same things so you believe it. Programming, so some programming can close your mind, some programming can open your mind. Programming of a different kind, math, science, history, whatever, you know. Um, <clears throat> And this can help set you free. So to me, this is a really important concept and I think speaks against the concept of determinism and for that of free will is that others can program us, right? But then who also made these programs? They weren't made by some holy person, you know, they found the tablets on the hill. Humans made them, right? Science is programming of another kind. So to me, we can effectively learn the programming of others and also we can make our own programming. Yeah exactly and so
0: for like for me and what I think this means for you know like my children and their generation is what I think is in, like so if I understand it correctly there you can be programmed or you can program yourself yeah and I feel like the difference or we can program others is, yep. yeah, go on. yeah well I think the difference is how you think not what you think mm-hmm. and if we help well I think I think there you go <laughs> uh, I think that um what's important is the ability to critically evaluate what you are being fed in terms of information and what you think yourself and I believe like one way of doing that is it's 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 just an interesting exercise but it's again what you mentioned when Sam Harris would do a meditation Sam Harris in his meditation app will say like when a thought arise, witness the thought. That's
1: just it's conscious an interest conscious
0: mind. Yeah. Yes. It's an interesting exercise, though, because that creates, that creates this idea of dualistic experience where you By are mind. observing <laughs> your own thoughts. So, mm. like, where's the separation here? Like, where do you separate you from your thoughts? Um, and so this is where I think it's really, like, a fun kind of, like, area to play in because if we can identify that when we're having a thought and we don't actually question it or we don't witness it, then I think we become people like, I don't know, Sam Harris when he says, I can never be convinced that free will is not an illusion. Mm. I, I, I feel like that somebody who's always got this idea of, well, I understand that I don't know everything and if I can get be given new information and observe that then you're always opening yourself up to the freedom
1: of choice i feel like mm. yeah i think this is i was going to give another example of programming like trump and saying that the election was fraudulent stop stop the steal all that jazz right and he just repeated it over and over and over again just like i don't know religion is repeating stuff over and over and over again to the point mm. where some people start to believe it and so he mm. created a new program right and then certain people in the media like you know propagated that program and certain republicans still you know trumpists still propagate that you know false programming um and so to me all knowledge human knowledge is growing i don't think anyone needs any sort of evidence of that and guess who makes that knowledge humans right now some of that knowledge is fake right some of it's not fake you know some of it's helpful some of it's harmful um and so to me this is a, an example that we can program others and we can also program ourselves. Um, and so to me, this speaks heavily against the concept of, of determinism to me.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I think so. This is where I feel like um, Sam likes to have his cake and eat it too, because he also references the fact that just because he feels like free will is an illusion, he even goes so far as to say, the illusion of free will is an illusion. I don't mm. even know what that means. <laughs> But he, he then said that it doesn't... And, and he said it doesn't mean that determinism and morality can't coexist. So this is where I think he's kind of like trying
1: to... So that, um, isn't that like literally not possible? If you're 100% well, determined, so, then there isn't no such a thing as morality. Because you don't well, get
0: to so choice here's the, anything. So here, so here's the rub, I think. is in, in philosophy, there's fatalism, where everything is kind of like a turnkey. Like... Literally ping pong balls everywhere, including inside your brain, um, and that you could map everything out to the future, and that it's it's just playing itself out. It's like a videotape, and you just put it in and you push play. That's fatalism. Mm. Determinism is is a little bit more grey area where um, your life is determined, but you do still have. I think I don't know if it's agency in your decisions or. Your decisions still matter inside of that, um, you know, of this reality, so to speak. And so, this is—I I feel like he's just putting it in there so that people don't all just throw their hands <clears throat> up and say, like, "Oh, well, if it's determinism, why bother?" Hmm. He says, "Like, no, your decisions still matter. Like, if you want to live a fulfilling life, you still need to make choices that are going to lead you towards having a fulfilling life." Um, and so, that's where this whole idea of well, is there morality in a world in which free will does not exist? And he said, yes. And
1: like, <laughs> we to try... I yeah. a different yeah. question for you. Let's just say that, that there is determined, right? Like everything is yep. determined. But that we can have the illusion of free will. Wouldn't it be better to operate with the illusion of free will, even if it's an illusion? Like mm, even mm. if it's 100% determined, I would choose to have the illusion of free will and to try to make what I considered to be the right decisions for, you know, increasing the common good, etc. So it's, even if it was determined, having the, the illusion of free will would be the single best program you could have running inside a determined, you know, being, because then you get to enjoy it. Because yeah. if you didn't have yeah. the illusion of free will, then you're not making any decisions. You're just like along for the ride, you know? Um, and so to me, it's almost in some respects fatalistic to use it before, <laughs> um, to, to not, lean into free will whether it is real or illusionary because it's a much better path to a good life to try to make the right decisions even if in the end it's an illusion yeah so to me it's just like so, why would you even want to, to try to think about it being determined
0: yeah so like there's, there's an amazing book um called useful delusions mm-hmm. um written by um shankar uh Ved- Ved- Vedandham, Vedandham, I think it's that <laughs> Um, I've not read this book. And, is it good? I, I just I, I'll, uh, I'll look it up now. Useful. To well, like them. okay, so you could, well, so listen to he 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 has a podcast, Hidden Brain, and one of the recent oh, episodes he's, he's he, Hidden
1: Brain. He's Hidden he, Brain. What? Yeah. No, he, Hidden Brain is an epic podcast. I did not know. Yeah, that. it's
0: so he wrote a book called useful delusions um and okay. one of the recent episodes is he talks about the uh, the concept of useful delusions and which is as you posit duncan would it not be better if we just if free will was an illusion would it not be best if we just deluded ourselves um and <laughs> <laughs> and he goes through um like the paradox that like it actually does play a vital role in life Um, so he gives some anecdotal examples such as, um, so I I wouldn't necessarily argue for this, but the example he gave was things like if you went to the doctor, then you only had two weeks left to live. Mm. Um, the doctor could make a decision there to say like, look, you're dead in two weeks or, uh, things are looking okay, but we'll just like watch it closely and then kind of let that person live a, a happier life for the last two weeks of their life. But there's other areas in which we can delude ourselves. Mm. Um, um, but they are still useful, which I mm. think is a very, very interesting concept. But like going back to your original question around like, would it be not be best for us to delude ourselves? Here's the thing. I kind of feel like this is on the same level of, are we in a simulation? <laughs> well, right, like, okay. hear me okay. out. Um, so when, when Elon Musk talks about the the high, highly high likelihood that we're all in a simulation... Whether we are or not doesn't really change anything, right? So, um, you know, maybe if we all came to the realization that we were just simulated beings, we might all just panic and like riot or something. I don't know. But the fact is that your life doesn't change whether the reality is one mm-hmm. way or the another. I mm-hmm. feel like that whether we come to the realization that free will exists or not, life doesn't necessarily have to change. Um, simply be- because we've always operated under the guise, whether we're deluding ourselves or not, that we are free to make our own choices. I feel like that if, if it just came out tomorrow, front, front page of the news, like free, free will is a myth, like even if we accepted that, it doesn't mean you have to change the way in which you think, if that makes sense.
1: Mm. Um, in, in some respects, this is sort of being a little bit tongue in cheek. The better you are at deluding yourself, possibly the better you are at having a good life. So to me, you know, then everything can be good. But then if you think about maybe first order, it can be right. But I I think some people might live a single player life, literally go and be a hermit in the wilderness or something. But if you're not interacting with, you know, if you're interacting with other humans, then perhaps the more deluded you are, the less interactions with other humans you have, or <laughs> or that their interactions with you are not great. They're like, look at the deluded dumb face, you know? And so to me, I think actually, the strongest connection to reality is the best yeah. path to forming a good multiplayer life. And yeah. that a multiplayer life for me is much better than a single player life. And so delusions best for an individual player game, single player game, reality and strong connection to it best for a multiplayer life.
0: Well, I feel like um, one of my favorite quotes um, so, so the, the first instance of it is the difference between genius and insanity is success mm-hmm. um but the, the follow-on from that is um genius uh, uh, like yeah those the genius people are just crazy people who've learned how to navigate reality
1: mm.
0: right so you think about that like like anyone on this spectrum of ext- of of at the extreme end of this spectrum are all crazy like this is the, what it posits by the way this is not me trying try and not to state an absolute but just like stating what this um argues they all of these people on the extreme end of the spectrum are completely dis- um connected from reality they're all deluded to mm. to put it another way but the genius ones have simply still manage to find a way to interact with the world around them um, that's not pure chaos. Like, they know how to, like, manipulate their environment to create success for themselves or to, you know, express their chaotic and crazy views in a way that's coherent to others. Hmm. Um, And I feel like, you know, this idea of, you know, delusions and um, losing touch of reality, like, there is a... I, I do think there is a objective... Oh, this is going into uncharted territories i do think there is to an extent an objective reality in that you know science and physics have done enough to show us that things are repeatable to an extent and so if you do have this idea of well i need to be able to move through the world in a way that's in line with it i can do that regardless of whether i am a reasonable person or an insane person if that makes sense
1: hmm. i thought maybe just bring bringing back to more to free will versus we started. This is one equation that I made. Like to me, to, to have high percentage of agency. So you can have zero percent agency in the decision or a hundred percent agency, those are the things. So zero percent agency is determined, a hundred percent agency is free will, right? And it's continuum. It's not binary. And so there are macro factors that you need to be aware of. So there are programs baked into your biology which you can't change, like horny, etc., right? The best you can do <laughs> is that you need to become aware of them and to counter for them. So yeah when it happens, you can choose to follow it, um, or you can choose to see it going off. So they say, I'm not my thoughts, I'm the observer of my thoughts. I see your biological program going off. I don't have to follow you. So those ones you can't. Then there are ones which you can change. And this is where Danny Kahneman talks about thinking fast, thinking slow. So there are things that are programmed in from society or or, others that you respond this way when this happens. And you can choose to create a new response. Some you can't, that is always there. The best you can do is count for them. Some you can change but you've got to do the work to change them. And there's a lot of, you know, work, this is cognitive behavioral therapy, classical conditioning, all that jazz, right? And then there's the third lot, which are micro factors, things like I'm tired, you know? So if you are tired, everything's harder, you know? You might become grumpy and so you, you could sort of things. So that's not a program per se, but it's affecting your ability to have agency. So if something bad happens and I'm tired, I might get really annoyed. If something bad happens, and I'm really well rested. I might be like, oh, you know what? That person who was being annoying, they're probably tired. So don't get annoyed, Joanne. <laughs> so those are the three yeah. categories I had. One, biology can't change, just counter. Two, in your kind of programming can change a lot of effort. Three, micro short-term things like being tired or rested, which you try to counter for. And that's so to go from 0% agency to 100% agency, you didn't know all those things, and to be trying to kind of counter for them. Mm.
0: Yeah, so um, like amazing book, by the way, Thinking Fast and Slow. i I um, it's, it's quite a dense read. It's like, horrible it's dense, read. Like, <laughs> it's a very, lots of interesting <laughs> stuff, but God awful read. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's quite, all, it's, it's all over the place. There's no like st- um, narrative that kind of like strings us through. Um, but the idea that um, Kahneman posits is it, you have two selves. You have one that sinks in system one and sinks in system two. System one is that more intuitive,
1: instinctual, reactive and immediate. Whereas That's your natural two, programming stuff. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's, what the, it's what the, so what's in there. You can change system one, but there is default system one in almost everything, whether you know it or not. But you can so change think, it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, he talks about like mastery um, is an example of how you can change system one. Like if you, if you learn things like chess well enough, it starts to get loaded into this system one part of your brain. So you can just see moves without even thinking. Um, mm. And it's insanely complex that I could do no justice trying to explain it <clears> properly here. Um, but what I think um, is the key here so system two being your more rational um, and conscious mind um, when we hear arguments against free will from a biological sense it seems to me um, well represented in a way that people think in system one without even realizing that they can bring system two online Mm. Um, and one of the best examples or the one that stuck with me is that in like they, they took a study of thousands of court cases in the US and, and what the, the overall sentence was, and they found a, highly, a, strong, a very strong correlation between the size of the sentencing and how soon after lunch the sentence was handed down. Mm. So, so when the judge had just had mm. a full belly of food, the sentencing of the same crime was materially less. And so this is where you can see, even if the judge is reasoning and going through meticulously all of the pros, the you know the weighing of the the crime that had been done, they're still unconscious of the things that are happening in their first in the system one side of their brain because they've got serotonin and oxytocin going through their um, their body, having just got a full um, stomach of food. And by moving yourself into system two, which is bringing awareness to the thing, I think gives us that ability to move up the spectrum that you kind of laid out
1: earlier. Yeah, so an example of micro, which I saw it being tired, is being hangry. So if you're hungry just before lunch, you're less you know, nice or you know, compassionate. Uh, <laughs> and then if you just had a good feed, you're much more compassionate. So that's a micro, right? And so yeah. if you wanna be unbiased or to have higher percentage of agency, you need to counter for it. So if you think that you act the same at every single point, that's really, really unlikely. Um, I'll give you an example that I like of system one, system two stuff. So that one idea of getting better is you go from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence to um, conscious competence to unconscious competence. So an example is driving a car. Before you've done it, you'd have no idea what to do. And then you're going along and you're not good. And it takes all of your energy, right? Like you have to concentrate with 100% of your mind's bandwidth. And then you slowly get better at it, and then you get to the point where you can drive, and you don't need to use any bandwidth. It's subconscious. So you've built the programming for your mind to learn how to drive, and it runs. Mm. And that's going from thinking, you know, uh, thinking one, uh, thinking one fast, and thinking two slow. Yeah. I've got, yeah, so yeah, so thinking two, you have to start with is thinking slow, and then you move it to thinking one, which is an automatic, subconscious thing. Okay, whether you know it or not there's heaps of other things like this that have happened. Whether you've programmed them into yourself, and this is cognitive behavioral therapy, is programmed into yourself, or you've had it programmed into other sociocultural programming. And there's all these things that are operating in subconscious program mode, which you can change. There's a lot of effort. But affect your decisions. So if you're not aware of what they are, then your percentage of agency is lower. And so to me, this is a really interesting concept that I didn't get at all as an 18-year-old. And now a lot of what I try to do is to build healthy system one or healthy habits that I've chosen that operate in a subconscious layer. So a lot of what I'm doing is trying to build new habits and habits is something where it gets to the point where you don't need to do any thought about it. Driving, yep. you know, no thought. Yeah,
0: so, um, so this is what I feel like explains what, I'll try, what I think we're trying to, to get to um, best in the book, which is the attentive system two is who we think we are, right? This is a conscious brain, the prefrontal cortex. System 2 articulates judgments and makes choices, but it often endorses or rationalizes ideas and feelings that were generated by System 1. So what that's saying is, many times a System 1 belief or um, uh, value will be generated, and then suddenly System 2 will just take that on as if that is its own belief. And so this is where things like um, you know, Tim Urban talks about, you know, do you know what your unconscious biases are? Do you know what your unconscious programs are f- from your childhood? Because this is where when you are presented with something that, um, turns those things on your system to brain, your conscious brain will then just take it on as if it was its own belief and just rationalize it without you even knowing. And that's why, um, I feel like, you know, this kind of notion of, Self-authoring, which is realizing what is biology, what is environmental or um, nurturing, and then what is your own take on those things or what is your own um, value system of those is how you separate yourself from all of that earlier programming.
1: Hmm. I think this is just something I've covered now. Like, Is is one path to a good life, not the only thing, trying to increase the percentage of your decisions that have agency or the agency in your decisions? So if you're trying to help make the world better, the stronger your connection to reality, the better, because then you're pushing on actual solid ground, not quicksand, right? And if you have low agency, i.e. you're not aware of the biological programs, the other stuff stuff that's been programmed to to yourself or your parents, you know, or society, or you're not aware of the micro things, like when you're hungry, I'm a grumpy little, you know, hangry person, and when I'm well fed, I'm happy, Mm -hmm. gregarious, you know, person. And so to me, it's it's interesting. It's like, cool, like, like you know, know thyself, Socrates. Um, and knowing thyself is knowing what is inside of you. Like, if you don't, know, you know, and so if you are an increased percentage of agency, all else equal, you have the increased opportunity for a good life.
0: Well, so here's the thing. Like, um, first of all, we wouldn't have sayings like ignorant is bliss if it wasn't for the fact that there does seem to be, like, I, I for me, I think, if you want a reliable system in which we could build a way for making life better for people, I would posit that you would have to be able you would have to first increase your level of self agency. Like I don't think there's another reliable way other than just completely plugging people into the matrix and just you know, showing putting an illusion in front of them for the rest of their lives. But I don't think that it's directly correlated I don't like i I think there was a study where they showed like the smarter you are, the more likely you are to be depressed <laughs> um which is an interesting um outcome when you think about it because like for me, just thinking now, I don't know if this is me rationalizing objectively or my system one thought, but <laughs> I would think that the more freedom I have, and what we've been putting forward here is freedom is the result of having more agency and self-authoring. I would say the better potential I have for a better life.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe this other, I, I've seen that, but I think it was a, in my opinion, mischaracterization. There's this thing called the paradox of choice, which is basically the more choice you have, the less happy you are with the choice. So mm-hmm. if you've got like a menu to order 10 different things and you go through and then you order, and then you're, you're there at dinner with your friend and then they get the other thing and you're like, oh, I should have got that thing. And even though what yeah. you've got is great, you're in your head like oh, i've made the wrong decision or something and so in some respects yeah. for some people the more decisions you have the less happy you are about any decision but i, I think overall that you know whatever it's like dunning kruger initially like ignorance is bliss unless ignorance breaks and then as soon as it breaks things i think get worse but then you get to learn how to live in the world of agency yeah. of you know decisions that you've got multiple options on the table. Um, and so one option is better than no options, but four options is worse than one option, but 10 options done well, you know, then you learn how to do 10 options properly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so zero yeah. is yeah. ignorance. One is not good, you know, and one is better than zero, <laughs> I suppose. Four is bad and 10 is good again, you know? <laughs> um, so if, if, I like it.
0: If I may, I'd say ignorance is vulnerable, right? So if, if you're, if you're living a blissful, ignorant life, then all power to you, but, if something were to change your external environment, you would be very vulnerable to that. Um, Another way in which I think um, thinking fast and slow really helps to distinguish this is he also talks about the two selves. So there are two systems, system one and two, but there's two selves as well. There's the experiencing self, and then there's the remembering self. And so... The way he lays this out is that we should be making decisions based on the experiencing self. And so the example given here is like, if you're given the option of being you know, strapped to a machine that's going to put a pin in your hand and cause you discomfort or pain for an amount of time, you would make the decision on, well, how much pain and for how long, right? I don't want to experience too much pain. Um, but what he shows is that we don't actually make the decision based on that we make the decision based on how we remember it afterwards Mm. and I think he said there were two things one is what is the peak and what is it like at the very end Mm. and he shows that people where they go through more pain which is the the aggregate of the level of pain and the, the duration of it people go through more pain but if it's less at the end they will prefer that then less pain over time. Mm -hmm. So this idea of the remembering and the experiencing self shows how, even though we think we are, you know, truly acting in a way that like has agency or in our own interest, we can actually deceive ourselves because we're not thinking of it through the lens of how would this be in my own best interest more? So how would I remember this at the end?
1: Yeah. Um, so i am just maybe change to another part of what I think the equation is. So if you have like biological programs, you need to learn them so you can count for them. Subconscious programs that you can change. They might've been done to you by others, your parents, society, yourself. Micro things like tired and hungry, but then also your subconscious mind. Um, and so your subconscious mind is like talking off. And some people refer to this as your monkey mind. Um, and that's one of the, the key things that I think meditation has helped me with. In some respects, it's an attempt to try to not have your subconscious mind run around wrecking things. So by concentrating on your breath, you get better at being able to concentrate on things, i.e. not have your subconscious interrupt you constantly. So I didn't realize it, that, that my subconscious was like, hey, 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 hey. hey, And you'd be thinking about something, it's like, hey, 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 And so like, you know, it was, it was just going off all day, every day. And meditation, like whatever, you do 20 minutes breath or a body scan, is practicing building that concentration muscle. So that when you wanna focus your energy on something else, you're able to give it a purer, clean energy, i.e. the percentage of time that your subconscious is hijacking your conscious thoughts mm. decreases. And so if you want higher agency, I'd argue that one core component is trying to, uh, I, I suppose, have your subconscious wreck you less. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I can't remember what it was, but was, um, someone was saying the, um, the level of self-control one has can be measured by the time in which the stimulus occurs and when they choose to react, right? So if, if you have a stimulus and you react immediately, then you could almost see how this is like a, a system one instinctual programming. But if you are stimulated and you pause and you allow yourself, for example, to bring awareness to it, just like how bringing awareness to your breath trains you to do this, Then you can bring more agency to how you want, and then you can choose how you want to respond. Mm. Um, And I and I think this is where, Mm. yeah, exactly. So it's 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 an immediate reaction, which can be that biological subconscious programming, or it can be a thoughtful response. Mm. Uh, And I think that's just a really um, interesting cue because Mm. every time I do it, like I can, it's almost scary in a way where I have a reaction in my head that i want to act out and the longer i let myself sit in that thought the long the more ridiculous it seems that i would want to do that Hmm. the um you know really good examples are when someone says something that upsets me like my my immediate reaction is to do something contentious or adversarial back and the longer i sit in that thought i'm like how is this going to make you know this situation any better to do that that's like And I feel silly for thinking that initially, but I can see the immediacy of my biological programming, wanting
1: to have that adversarial um, reaction. Mm. Just going slightly back to where I was before sort of subconscious mind. So if you get really, really good at like, you know, meditating or something, you totally quiet in your subconscious mind and there's nothing. And in that silence, some of them call that like bliss, you know, um, and a higher state. but I don't think you want to get your subconscious mind to never, ever be able to operate. So in education mm. research, there's a thing called concentrated thinking and diffuse thinking. So concentrated thinking is where you're focusing on something and diffuse thinking, some people get it when they're having a shower, some people get it when they're having a run, some people when they're like going for a walk or something and you have all these ideas come off. So you know, you're know you not thinking consciously about the, uh, the problem, but you're, you, know, you have a different type of thinking which is called diffuse thinking mode. And I would refer to that as subconscious thinking mode, if that makes sense. So I try Mm. to actively have training myself to be able to focus my energy how I want. And some of the times I'm trying to lean into having as much of my time be conscious mind led, like 100% conscious mind led. But then I also make space for trying to have 100% subconscious led. And that's diffuse thinking mode. So for example, I might get a massage, um, whatever. And during that time, normally, my subconscious is running the show. And you, you your hands off, you try to observe your thoughts, not interact with them at all, and see what they have to say. And your subconscious often has all these really interesting things to think about. And so this is like another version of, I suppose, ages we sort of talked about this, you are not your thoughts, you are the observer of your thoughts. Mm. So your subconscious mm. is this thing you don't control. Um, but you can not, so I don't wanna have, trying to do concentrated mode, but having 50% concentrated, 50% conscious thinking, 50% unconscious thinking, do you know? That's not useful. Mm. But then I don't want to ever not have my subconscious talk to me. And so that's another way to increase, like, I suppose, agency, is to be able to use your subconscious to help you. It's like a, not a second mind, you know, that whole sort of bicameral mind thing that your, that your conscious mind can listen to. But your conscious mind can also do things proactively. It's not just in listening mode the whole time. It's also in doing mode sometimes. The mind is a great servant, but a terrible master. Yeah, it's a good one, hey? Yeah,
0: well, I mean, so here's, here, like all of these things that you and I talk about, bringing awareness to our our thoughts, observing them, um, having all of these things play themselves out is one thing because I still feel like there are times in which I still lose the ability to act out of my own um, free will. Uh, like simple examples like getting out of bed
1: first thing in the morning. Like when that <laughs> alarm goes off, and you're just like... I am a fully you, actualized you, you, human. I'm good at stuff. I cannot get out of bed.
0: <laughs> like, you almost have a conversation with yourself the night before. Right, I'm setting the alarm. Six o'clock. I'm getting out of bed. I'm <laughs> going to get ready for the day. And then it, it just goes off. And it's like, almost... You don't even have a conversation with yourself. You're just like, no, I'm not getting... Like, I can't do it. Um, and it's the same thing for... like. I don't want to try and oversimplify things for people, but it's like there's so many things in life where we already have the answer and we know that we should do these things, like eat healthy, um, you know, get um, plenty of rest, uh, you know, invest in, Like I, I don't know, maybe I should just stay with like, so we, I think we can all agree that like a good night's sleep is good for you, but yet we still don't act that out in such a way that is aligned with what we understand to be true. Do you know what I mean? Like, even though you and I can say, I have agency, I have free will because I'm aware of the choices I make, there are still times when I still don't do the things I know I should be doing.
1: Mm. Well, this is getting into another sort of thing. It's like, how do you build discipline? Mm. How do you build, you know, willpower? And so one of the things I sort of say is like, you need to remove the need for willpower. Um, So you need to set up your environment to work for you, not against you. Um, and so I think I've slowly been able to need to exert less willpower to get done what I want to get done. And so to me, this is interesting, like you, you know often your goals, but you don't necessarily do them. And the more willpower required to exert to do them, e.g. get out of bed, e.g. go to work, e.g. exercise, the, the worse you're doing it. One example, I used to think, of course you need to exercise to be healthy. And if, if things was getting busy or I was tired, it's get cut. So I was doing after work, then if I had dinner with somebody, well, I can't dinner and exercise. And if I had a really you know tiring day, so I'm too tired. And then I did it before work and I made it when I was able to listen to podcasts and audiobooks at a time of peace and it's also meditative. Like sometimes I just listen to music. And so I changed the time, I changed the story. And now I never miss going to the gym. Whereas I used to miss it all the time, like 50% of the time. Um, mm. And so to me, this is an interesting thing. Like willpower is perhaps another one of those micro things Willpower is like, I haven't slept, it's gonna be harder. I haven't eaten, it's gonna be harder. And so to me, you've got to set up your environment to work for you, not against you. Ideally, you need to eliminate the need for willpower. And I remember thinking about that, oh my God, I'm doing it wrong. I'm trying to build my willpower muscle, Like wrong. Build your environment to require no willpower.
0: Mm.
1: It takes willpower to build your environment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then it becomes self-fulfilling. But I've got a strong willpower muscles, I would say now. When I was 20, I had shocking willpower muscles. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was just like chocolate, <laughs> sleeping <laughs> something, you know, um, whereas now, like, I think you can build it. But then I, I realized ah. I was doing it wrong. I was almost doing it the hard way. And so you need to have willpower muscles, I would say, but you don't want to be every minute of every day having to expend willpower to get done what you want. You want water to flow downhill. You know, man struggles up, and mm. water flows downhill. Fuck that. i build a life where I flow downhill. It's easy.
0: Yeah. Well, I think like, so maybe put differently, we take willpower out of the equation, or at least not entirely, but um, is no longer the focal point. Is um, you know people? Let's let's go with Michael Jordan, right? <clears throat> so Michael Jordan, uh, greatest, of, greatest of all time. Uh, you would probably, if you had watched the Last Dance, realize that this this is a man who is not where he is today it's simply by virtue of his um, you know God given gifts or his physical attributes he got there because he willed himself day in day out to work harder than anybody else
1: and he works Um, well yeah
0: yeah um and like there's no disputing that he had a lot of natural gifts but like he certainly didn't leverage them early on in his life he was cut from his school team like three times um so it stands to reason that he once he learned how to apply himself and work you know as hard as he did is what got him to the level of mastery so i guess what the point i'm making here is that even when it is in the pursuit of something that you are immensely passionate about there are those who will do it to the extremes like the michael jordans and the elon musk of the world and there are those who whether for want or um or lack can't go to that set to that level to that distance you know like kobe bryant would say like if Shaq worked as hard as I did, we would have 10 rings.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I haven't heard that. It's yeah, it this, it this, it this thing of like, even when we want to do it, right? It's not like the alarm goes off in the morning and I don't want to get out of bed. It's I'm playing professional basketball and I want to win as many rings as possible. It should be abundantly clear that I should be spending as much time as I have investing in training myself and my teammates to get as best as possible. But a lot of people still don't do that.
1: Hmm. All right. It's summary time where I can do because we are out of time. Um, oh, okay. We started on free will versus determinism. I'm going to bring it back to that. Look, I think Sam has a point that is valid, that you have a subconscious mind that you don't choose the thoughts of, but that doesn't describe 100% of your mind, in my opinion. Um, I've made this thing so you the biological programs um, that you know, whatever horny, you don't choose. There are subconscious programs that run and that's your thinking fast mind from Danny Kahneman. And some of those programs have been programmed into you by others. Others you've programmed as yourself, but they're the default. And so if you, if they're not working for you, they're counterproductive, then you need to change them. and There's a lot of effort required to change them, but you can do it. You know, look at cognitive behavioral therapy. There are micro things like being tired or hungry that affect you. There is your subconscious mind, you know, which is what we have talked about. Um, And so to me, I think that becoming aware of these things, and like, for instance, reading Thinking Fast and Slow is like, I don't know, I'm making up another hundred of these cognitive biases. Um, and it's a really dense book, and they're really interesting to know. Um, but I wouldn't call it classes as an easy read, I classes it, however, it's a very valuable read. Um, and so to me, I don't subscribe uh, at all to the determinism thing. But I also don't subscribe to the fact that 100% of your decisions have agency. Um, again, I think 18 year old Duncan had between 0 to 50% agency, and I'd, I'd hope that 37 year old Duncan has between 10 and 90% agency in decisions. On a good day, it might be more up the 90% end, and on a bad mm-hmm. day, it's down the 10% end. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I hope that over time, over my life, I'm going up so that the percentage of my decisions with agency or the percentage of agency in my decisions is slowly increasing.
0: Mm, absolutely. But so I would be very interested, like, Thinking Fast and Slow is an international bestseller. Just how many of those who bought this book, actually read the whole thing. <laughs> it might just be like a nice little you know, placeholder on the coffee table like, mm,
1: look at me. I'm, I'm... I'm intelligent. I am a very amazing person. It's a great book. I've read it. Yeah, you're looking to like, I've read it too. I, think I haven't finished it. Like, honestly, I got two thirds of the waiters gave up.
0: Well, here is a fantastic example of exercising your discipline because I disciplined myself to read it every day. I was just like, oh, okay, here we go, come on. And then I would just get into making sure that I was just like focusing on it. And then, anyway, I I digress. So to summarize, the idea of free will um, has two kind of like dimensions. There's the theoretical dimension, um, and this is where I think Sam Harris, um, you know, anchors his argument in more strongly, which is this idea that free choice requires an impossible, infinite regress of choices to be the way that one is making Um, and so what he means by that is that you do not create your thoughts because they come from your subconscious. You did not create your subconscious. You did not create your body. Um, therefore you don't have free will. Um, and I think Duncan and I are on the same page here where we say, well, that might be true, but that doesn't negate the, the ability of one to have agency around what their thoughts are or like how they choose to move forward. Um, So for me, I believe that um, because we're not the creator of our thoughts doesn't mean that we can't be the master of our thoughts. And I think where this comes through uh, in the deterministic argument versus morality is that I don't think the universe is necessarily like a clock. There are things such as the mind, which I don't know, but it's more substance than material in terms of, well... We don't just simply have a um, deterministic element where A happens and then B happens, but there's a large part of the brain that is programmed like that. So, as you pointed out before, like mice and spiders don't go to mice and spider school. For us, we have a significant component that is programmed biologically. We also have a significant pro- component that is inherited through our external environment in the first like mostly in the first seven years of our life, but like throughout our entire lives, we take external um, stimuli in and information and that also builds up our um, belief system or value system. But I also believe, um, similar to what Duncan would put forward, is that we contain or we have within ourselves the ability to self-author. And that is where we can start to separate ourselves, whatever you want to call that, from our thoughts and then make a purely conscious decision on whether we want to be defined by them or choose our own. Uh, and so this is where I think we can have you know, an understanding around, well, whether we want to set ourselves up to have better discipline or whether we want to set ourselves up in a way in which we can master our minds rather than be a slave to it. Um, for me, at the end of the day, is as long as we're operating in a way where we are aware of our thoughts and we... Um, you know we have enough time to um, you know reflect on that then there's always to me a case for free will
1: Mm. all right thanks a lot james uh wonderful to have a podcast again um cheers cheers